Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is Steel Curtain Network editor Dave Schofield coming at you. It's Thursday. It's week four. How did we get to week four already? My goodness, it seemed like we were stuck forever through summer just trying to get the Steelers football. And here we are rolling into the fourth week of the season. The Pittsburgh Steelers are two and one. Things feel much better in Steelers Nation than they did two weeks ago. And you know what? That's what winning will do. Even when the Steelers didn't play all that great offensively in week two, they still got the win. Week three, we saw some marked improvements, and the Steelers got another win. So the best thing that you can ask for is the win. Winning is the most important. Now, you also want to have a good feel going forward based on how the Steelers are winning and everything going on in that manner. You know, are they having to rely on splash plays from the defense? Yeah, they did in week two. Are they having to rely on splash plays from the offense? Yeah, but if you can create those plays and you're getting them more often, then you're not just relying on them, you're creating them. That's a whole different story. But yeah, there's some things with this Steelers team that you, you feel like they're going in the right direction. So this week traveling to Houston, I think this is going to be a really telling game to see if the Steelers going to keep moving forward or is it going to be that they're like, oh, now they're going to sputter. I mean, they're 2-1 and one in September. That's the best the Steelers have done in September outside of the 2020 season since 2017. They're 2020, they had the the, the – all those games in a row. That was just a weird season anyway with the, with the COVID protocols and empty stadiums and everything. So just it's nice to see the Steelers winning some games in September. They still got their doors blown off in week one. But as, as I say, when things like that happen, they can't go back and unsuck against the 49ers. That game is done. And they found a way to beat a team in the Cleveland Browns who are now, man, they are like the number one defense in the NFL in about every category or every major category, not, not, there's a few things like the Steelers number one and something we'll learn about that in the second half, as we were finally beginning to the looking at the matchup and the ranks, but man, to see that the Steelers, I mean, they scored 20, what is it? 26 points. I almost said 22. That's why they gave up 26 points against the Browns. You'd be like, yeah, but 14 of them were the defense. The offense only over only scored 12 points. That's twice as many points as the Browns have given up in their other two games combined. So when you look at it that way, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe that is a quality opponent. I don't want to admit it. I don't want any AFC North team to be a, be a quality opponent, but that's just that is what it is. The Steelers went on the road, went west, went to the Pacific time zone, and got a win. That's something that you can't just write off because it's not something. Yes, it's a different team. Yeah, maybe that was more of a Ben Roethlisberger thing. Yes, as I said before, they'd never been to Vegas. So I thought that was a good game for them to be able to come in and set a new precedent. And you know what? They did. And they even had a chance if they could have come through on a key drive early in the fourth quarter, they had a chance to, to blow the doors off that game. Instead, they end up letting Vegas back in it. Some questionable calls keeps the game a little bit closer than it even should have been. But really, in 
when it all was said and done, the Steelers won by five points. Before we get on to some of the numbers from that game, let me hit up the Zebra Technology Stats of the Week. Got a couple of them this week. Uh, now I got to find them again. Yeah, okay, I got two. I'm not going to worry about anything with the Raiders because there's something with Devontae Adams. But, you know, this is a picture of, of me caring. How about this? Let's talk Steelers. Calvin Austin was wide open on a 72-yard touchdown on Sunday Night Football as he had 5.9 yards of separation, and the catch had a 48.4% completion probability. He hit 20.45 miles per hour, which was the fast, the ninth fastest in week three on the play, and the throw itself had an air distance of 46.0 yards. Kenny Pickett's second longest completion by air distance of his career and his first deep TD of the season because this was a longer pass. Yes, there was a 71-yard pass to George Pickens. This was a deeper pass. The ball traveled farther on this one. So that's some pretty interesting stuff with some uh, next-gen stats coming at you. Here's one. Here's defense. And this was the very first one they highlighted. I don't think it was the defensive stat of the week. It wasn't, but it was the next, very next one that was highlighted. Because T.J. Watt recorded six pressures and two sacks on 29 pass rushes against Jermaine. I'm going to mess up his last name, but I'm going to do my best. Illuminor. I think that might be right. Okay, that's a 20.7% pressure rate in week three. Illuminor had allowed just one pressure in his first two games this season. His 2.1 pressure rate was the lowest among right tackles in weeks one and two total combined, week one through two. So, yeah, that was he was going, TJ Watt was going up against a right tackle that had been doing really well until he went against TJ Watt. But, yes, so there's the Zebra Technology stats of the week. Thank you very much for those. Um, that, like I said, that's the technology that powers the NFL's next-gen stats. Let's dive into some more stats from this game. Then I'm going to get into something to where the biggest improvement from week one to week three that I see. there, You could pick a bunch of stuff, but this is one that I picked up on numerically because it's something I talked about this summer. So I, I wanted I wanted to go back and look at him like, man, that really does jump off the page. But before I get into that, let's talk of some basic numbers uh, from, from the game on Sunday. Steelers, not just plus three in the turnover margin, it's the fact that they played clean. Zero turnovers, three takeaways. You know, some people are like, oh, well, the, the one the one at the end of the game was just you know, garbage. That's not garbage time. Even though there's not much time left, when a team has the ball within a score and you can take it away, good. Now, were they taking more chances? Absolutely. But come on. It's just like, it was just like the Atlanta game last year. You you, you pin them deep. They have to drive the length of the field. Very first play, interception, game. Last year, it was Minka Fitzpatrick. This, This year, in this game, it was Levi Wallace. So nice job with the Steelers taking care of the ball and forcing takeaways, which is something we will talk about in the second half briefly. How about the uh, – already already talk about it in the next-gen stats, but how about that 72-yard touchdown? Um, I called it the triple firsts. It was the Steelers' first first down 
in the first quarter of this season. And someone asked me a question. Someone said, well, that technically not a first down. Technically it is. Um, not everybody realizes this, but every offensive touchdown does count as a first down. Because think about it. You've crossed the line to gain, whether it was whatever end goal or something, and whatever the distance is, wherever that line was, whether it was a goal line or somewhere else, the play ended beyond that line. So technically – you achieved a first down on the play, and that's why they do that. The Steelers did have another first down after that one in the first quarter. So, hey, they are now up to two first downs. Um, and what's nice is seven offensive points finally. Um, that that's, that's even more important. The Steelers added four sacks. Really, they had five. You could argue all you want about the, the terrible call with the Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, I've, I have yet to find anybody. Anybody. Now, Grant, I don't really know. I know some people that are Raiders fans, but not that I know them well enough that I've talked to them since the game. But I haven't I haven't talked to anyone, even fans of other teams, that looked at that and thought that that was something that should have even remotely been called. So that would have been another sack. That would have been nice. We'll see how that plays out when we get into the Steelers' ranking. Um. Another key number from this game. How about two touchdown passes for the first time from Kenny Pickett in his NFL career? Yay! He finally got over the hump. But what people don't realize is they're like, oh, it's his first time scoring two touchdowns. No, it's not his first time scoring two touchdowns in a game. Kenny Pickett had two two touchdowns his first NFL game in which he appeared. That was week four last season. He had two rushing touchdowns. you got to remember that. But something else about Kenny Pickett, this is an interesting week. This is Kenny Pickett's first repeat week. This is now Kenny Pickett really being done his quote-unquote first NFL year. Because Kenny Pickett didn't play week one, two, or three last year. So when you he was playing week one, two, or three this year, those were his first experiences of playing those weeks of the season. Now, now he didn't start in week four last year, but that's when he came in at halftime. So now you can say – Kenny's starting to get to be in, into that part of it. Because you got to remember, he didn't start right away last year. Here's a, here's a good number. I'm going to talk about this one just a little bit. How about the 57-yard field goal from Chris Boswell on the Steelers? Was it the first drive of the second half? I'm pretty sure it was their first possession of the second half. But here's what's interesting about Chris Boswell's 57-yard field goal. It was the third longest of his NFL career because he has two 59-yard field goals. He had one against the Cowboys in 2020 that was 59 yards, and he had one against the Jets in 2022 last year that was 59 yards. But both of those kicks were kicks that ended the half, or, or yes, both of them were the half. Sorry, I'm, I, thought, I, saw, I saw four, and I'm like, oh, was it the fourth quarter? No, it's fourth down. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, both of those ended the half. This was his longest field goal that was not a half-ender. Okay? Boswell does have two 56-yarders to his, to his name. One of them was a half-ender against the Titans in 2021. The other one was in 2021, that, um, and that was also against – the Raiders. That was a 56-yarder. That was the only other one that was not a, not a half-ender. But so this one was Boswell's longest kick that doesn't end a half. Now you're like, well, well, what's the big deal? 
do you really want to try that long of a kick knowing that if you miss it, you're giving the other team the ball with such great field position? No, that's not something you generally want to do. That's why teams at the end of the first half, that's when you'll generally see the longest field goal attempts of the season because they're willing to take the risk. If if they miss it, it should end the half unless there's either a block or they put someone deep and they return it. So you'll you'll see that. So this was one that they went for it not to end the half. Now, I only looked at his successful field goals. So I couldn't tell you, I mean, I don't um if if it was oh, well I only I only have a list here of ones now some of these say no good. But uh but from what I've been able to find, that was the longest field goals that I've seen from him. Yeah, some of them here are no good. I don't know that they've ever tried one longer than that. I can't I I can't find it. I'm looking for any, but I just don't see it. Maybe maybe it's not in the filtering system at Pro Football Reference, but we'll have to see. So I thought that was another interesting number. And let's see anything else I want to hit. You know what? I real the Steelers struggled with giving up 172 yards to Devontae Adams. They did run the ball better than the Raiders overall, 105 yards to 69 yards. They did not run with a better average because the Steelers were were a 3.4 to the to the um, Raiders 3.6. But I will say this: the Steelers were able to stop the run when the Raiders were wanting to establish the run. But you could also say very similar things about the Steelers, that they did not run the ball well as well early in the game. But the Steelers got going more early in the second half. And and it when the game was still in doubt, when the when the outcome you didn't know what was going to happen. When the when the Raiders got most of their rushing yard, not most, but they got a good chunk of their rushing yards, it was in the fourth quarter when they were down two scores. So those are the times when you're actually more willing to say, like, you know what, if you give up some rushing yards there, that is not the end of the world in that situation. But the but then again, you got to remember that with the Steelers because so many times, I think I brought this up on Scobro, that so many times Steelers fans say, hey, the Steelers ended up having a decent average with rushing, but when they wanted to run the ball, when it mattered, they couldn't. That's what they did to the Raiders, so that's kind of important to remember. Oh, I'm trying to think if there, was, if there was anything else. There's another number I'll highlight here in a little bit. First, I'm going to – oh, one other number. There was nobody that that started the game for this year, not as a starter, but was one of the 48 active players for the game with the Steelers that did not finish the game due to injury. Got to love that. That's something you really want to see. So that was a really big positive. Granted, the the injury report is was super long on Wednesday, uh, but I'm hoping that these other players will be able to turn around and be able to play on Sunday. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you what I have looked up and what I have compiled as what I feel is the Steelers' biggest improvement from week one to now. And then I'll go ahead and, and break down the matchup and the rankings there. So, Stick around. We'll be right back. When my phone rang, she found someone new. It's no surprise how life could be so. Stunned and gone. 
All right, Steelers fans, let's roll through this. So what's Dave talking about when he thinks is the biggest improvement? Like I said, you could maybe make a different statistical argument somewhere else. I'm sure if you dig deep enough, you could probably find something. I'm just going to make an argument for this one because of how much it improved. I'm talking about big press. That's right. I'm going to talk about the Steelers punting. You're like, really? You're going to talk about punting? Now, I'm going to talk about the effect of the punting. And it's not just Presley Harvin, because what I'm looking at is more than just him, because I'm taking into account where the Steelers were when they snapped the ball for the punt and where the Steelers' opponent was when they took their next snap. Whether it was whether they got better field position from a return from a penalty does not matter. Now, if you remember, if you if you're a, if you're a regular nerd of steel and you're checking out all these episodes, this summer I talked about something that I wanted to see a new stat with the NFL because I talked about punting. I think I think you know um, average yards, whether it's net or gross, um, can be deceiving because sometimes the situation doesn't call for it. I said I wanted something, and I, I was calling it field-flipping punts. So you know what? People said, hey, you should go ahead and, and keep track of that. I'm only going to keep track of it for big press, and I did it for the first three games. And here's what I defined as a field-flipping punt. Now, you might not like this definition, but you know what? I made this thing up, so I get to decide it for myself. So, blah. Um, <laughs> it's this. If the – it's only a field flipping punt you're, if you're at your own 40-yard line or worse. In other words, the, the, at the Steelers 40 or less, Steelers 39, 38, blah, blah, blah. You've got, you, you, once you're past your own 40-yard line, it's not about being a field flipping punt. And I know the 40 is probably on the edge. I don't even want 40. I want it less than 40. So it's not it's not less than or equal to. I'm, I'm really looking at less than. But honestly, I'm, I'll count the 40 um, just for now. So we're going to include the 40. There's one punt in there um, that actually makes a difference as you go. And so if the Steelers are at their own 40 or, or lower, 40 yards or, or, or less in worst field position, they've got to get the ball – to the other team's 20-yard line or better. Now, the closer you get to the 40, the more I would like it inside the 20, but I'm not, I didn't get that specific with it. I would like it to be inside the 20. But honestly, if, if, you're, if you're not at least getting the 20-yard line, and that could even be the touchback, um, if you're not at least getting the 20-yard line, what's the point? So you got to get to the 20 or better. The touchback isn't terrible, but still – you flip the field somewhat because even if you're at your own 40 and they get at their 20, they're not having the field position that you did. But the other thing I looked at, if it's at the 30 or inside, I want it inside the other team's 30. For example, what if the Steelers are kicking from their own 18-yard line? If they can get it to the other team's 28-yard line, I'm good with that. I really am. I'm good with that. So those are my criteria if it's if they're if they're at the 40 or in, they've got to put it to, at the 20 you're in. And if they're their own 30 or less, they've got to put it inside the other 30. So you're you're like, well, that's really only 40 yards. You're you're right. But at the same time, bottom line is I want if you're inside your own 30, I want the other team's yard where they start to be worse than the one you started at. 
So some of these are borderline because it's not perfect. But but let's just give you an idea of this. So I'm going to go through game by game to explain this. So against the San Francisco 49ers, the Steelers punted the ball six times. Now, out of those six times, only five of them would have even had the opportunity to be a field-flipping punt. So the reason that's the case is because the Steelers punted once from the San Francisco 45. That's not even eligible to be a field-flipping punt. So out of their six punts, five of them had the chance to flip the field. Five of them were at their own 40 or worse. The Steelers flipped the field on zero, zero out of five. For example, Steelers punted from their own 20. San Francisco got it at their own 46. Not good enough. Steelers punted from their 29, they, that, and San Francisco got it at their own 32 because they were at the 29. If it had been a couple yards further, no, even and you know, if it would have been the Steelers thirty-two and put it and put them, no, they had to be under the thirty, and they didn't even get inside the thirty. That one was close, but nope, not good enough. The Steelers punted from their own fifteen. San Francisco took over at the fifty, not good enough. Punted at their own forty, barely qualified, just just qualified being in being at their forty. San Fran, after the return, took over at their own twenty-four, not good enough, not flipped enough. I already told you about punting from their own 45 that put the San Francisco 17 and the Steelers punted at their own 12 and the Niners got it at the Steelers 38. Whoo, none of those, none of those field flipping punts. Now let's go to, so zero out of five. Now let's go to the Cleveland game. The Steelers punted seven times, but only three of those punts were ones that would have been potential field-flipping punts. The Steelers punted in Cleveland territory a lot. For example, they punted from from Cleveland's 40, pinned them at the 9. Cleveland's 41 to the Cleveland 25. That's terrible. That was one that they got it at the 20, and there there was a five-yard penalty. Awful, okay? Steelers punted from the Cleveland 48. Cleveland got it at the 20. Punted from the Cleveland 41. Cleveland got it at the 1. See, now that's a good punt. It's not a field-flipping punt. That's a that's a pin-em-frickin'-deep punt is what that is. That was that coffin-corner punt. So that was four, those four punts where they punted in Cleveland territory. So out of the two – sorry, out of the three field-flipping punt opportunities, the Steelers actually flipped the field twice. Two times, okay? Two out of three. They meatloafed it, as I like to say to my kids, you know, because two out of three ain't bad. Jeff, I use that line with Jeff all the time, not on podcasts, and he, he stole that line this week, but that's okay. Um, maybe not all the time, but I've said it to him at least uh, at least twice. So let's look at the punch from Cleveland of these three punts. The Steelers punted from their own 40. Oh, that barely, that barely classifies, Dave. But they pinned him at the five. I will take that every time. That's a field-flipping punt. From your own 40, the other team's five. Then they punted from their own 33 and pinned them at the six. Pinned them at the six. That's a field-flipping punt. Then the Steelers punted from their own 31 and pinned them at the 25. If they would have been, honestly, on my criteria, if they'd have been one yard further back, that would have been a field-flipping punt. But for this one, Nope, not giving it to them. That's two out of three. But the one that they missed was really, really close. Really close. All right? Then you go to Vegas. 
The Steelers punted six times, and all six of them were an opportunity for a field-flipping punt. Every single one of them, they punted at their own 40 or inside of their own 40. They never punted in, in Raider territory. Once the Steelers got past their own 40, they were either kicking a field goal or scoring a touchdown. That's actually pretty pretty good. Good good to see. But look at these punts. Out of out of five out of six of these punts, they flipped the field on five of them. Five out of six. Five times the Steelers flipped the field in their punting game. Here you go. From their own 34, put it at the Vegas 12. From their own 27, put it at the Vegas 26. You know, gave them, you know, flipped the field. Went from their own 27, 26. I, I'll take that. From their 39 to the 14. Okay, put it inside the 20. From their own 30 to the Vegas 20. From their own 27 to the Vegas, what is that? To the Vegas 48. That's the one, that's the one that they didn't get done. And that was the next to last punt. That was the only one that that didn't do it. It was a shorter punt and it ended up having a 16-yard return. So it was just not good all around. But then the last one, from their own 36 to the Vegas 15 when they needed it. So there you go. Flip the field on five of the six. Now, it's, what's funny is that, not funny, but ironic maybe, is that the one time that they needed the good punt, they didn't get the good punt. Maybe I shouldn't say the one time. The first time they really needed that good punt, they didn't get it. But then the next time when they needed it, they did get it. And that when they went from the 36 to 15. So when you think about that, the Steelers had five chances to flip the field against the 49ers. None. Zero. Never did it. They had six chances against the Raiders, and they did it on five of them. That is a pretty marked improvement in my book. All right, so there we go. That was one of the things I just wanted to highlight because that's my own fun little thing looking at when it, when it comes to punting. And Steelers fans, a lot of them are saying, oh, yeah, the Steelers, you know, they, they did it. Other than the one, they called it a shank. I wouldn't call it a shank. It went 41 yards, the one, the, the, the punt from Harvin. It just it didn't go as far or as high, which then allowed them to return it some. So, um but there was also pressure around him. I don't know if he slipped a little bit, might bump by his own man. I didn't go back and actually break down what happened. I, I, I do know that, the, that it wasn't as clean as, as other punts. Now, for those of you that aren't maybe as familiar with how things work in season with StatGeek, once we get rolling, what I like to do to finish out the show, sometimes I'll spend the whole second half on this. I'm actually running short on time, so – I don't want to spend as much time on it because we're talking about a three-game sample. But now that we've got at least three games, we have somewhere to build on. It's looking at the Steelers and their upcoming opponent, where they rank in six different categories, offensively and defensively. Same thing for for offense and defense. So it's where do they rank overall yards and points. Now, yards would determine your overall ranking, like – for the NFL, if you are the number one offense in the NFL, that means you have the most yards. Although the argument could made could be made points are more important, that's why I'm doing them as well. Where are you in, in, in yardage? So for offense, it would be yardage gained, points scored. Now, even for the Steelers, it doesn't have to be your offense. It's points scored in general. So we have their defensive points count towards that. Where is their run offense in yards, their pass offense in yards, how much are they have they how how many times have they been sacked and how many times have they turned the ball over? 
We will do that for both teams on offense, and then we'll do it on defense in those same statistics. So let's dive into it to see where the Steelers match up with the Houston Texans. As this season goes on, you'll see that that week one game with the 49ers, where it really hurt them in a lot of categories, will start to get less and less. Think about it. If one out of three was was that bad, then it's going to be bad. If the Steelers have a nice game on Sunday, hopefully they do. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm going to be cheering for. If they if they have another nice game statistically, both offensively, defensively, then that then that San Francisco 49ers game only becomes one out of four. You know, several weeks down the road, it's going to be you know one out of eight. So obviously, it gets it, it affects things less and less. But for now, it's a lot. Let's dive into this. I'm going to do this one quick. Not going to spend a lot of time on it because, like I say, three-game sample. Houston Texans, offensively, in yards, they're 14th in the NFL, averaging 341 a game. All these are average per game. Okay. Uh, When it comes to points, they're 18th offensively. They score 22.0 points. Um, That compares to the Steelers' offense. They're 27th in yards, 275.7, and they're 22nd in points at 18.7. So Houston has the advantage there in their offenses so far. Um, Running the ball, Houston is 28th, 70 yards a game. Steelers are 30th, 67 yards a game. Let's see uh, which one of those teams can maybe improve that after they face each other. And then when it comes to the passing game, Houston's 6th. That's why they're 14th overall because they're 6th in passing, um, 271 passing yards a game to the Steelers where they're 17th, 208.7. Sometimes when you get those high passing yards, it's not necessarily a good thing. It's because you have to. But like I said, small sample size. When it comes to getting sacked, the Texans have been sacked 11 times total. This is an upper game. This is total. 11 times. That's 25th in, in the NFL. So that means... Obviously, the lower number would be the higher rank in this case because a team that's only been sacked, let's say, twice would be the first in the NFL. So that's bad for the Texans, good for the Steelers. But they've only turned the ball over twice. No interceptions, turned it over twice. That's tied for sixth in the NFL. When you come to the Steelers when it comes to to sacks, they've given up eight sacks. That's tied for 17th. And they've turned the ball over four times, which is tied for 15th. You know, both of those right around the middle of the league in in giving up sacks and turning the ball over. And, of course, this, you know, they didn't have eight turnovers last week, so that's, that's moving in the right direction for the Steelers. So when it comes to that, pretty much the only thing that the Steelers rank higher than the Texans when it comes to offense is how often they get sacked. They're close in rushing yards. Neither of them are neither of them are very good. And and the points they surrendered are actually um uh, sorry, points they scored are actually closer than than most the other stats. Let's look at it defensively now. So the Houston Texans give up 340.7 yards per game at 16th in the NFL, right in the middle. The Steelers, 387 yards. That's 28th. That's 28th. When it comes to points, the Texans have given up 24.3 points a game. That's 22nd. And the Steelers have given up 23.3 points a game, which is tied for 19th. So the Steelers 
are better than the Texans in giving up points. That's the only thing they're going to be better at with these four main ones, and then they're better than the other two. Um, you know, yards, points, rush, rush yards, air yards. So the Steelers might be giving up more yards, but they're not giving up as many points. So the difference in the Steelers' points between them and the Texans, they have the advantage on defense uh, by almost the exact same rank as what the Texans have advantage over the Steelers on offense. Just interesting to look at. So when it comes to stopping the run, the, the Texans are 17th in the NFL, you know, middle of the road, give up 117.3 yards per game. The Steelers haven't rushed for that many yards in a game. So that would be really nice if that's something they could do. But the Steelers, they're 30th. Well, they've given up 151.7 yards per game. That's what happens in that week one game against against the Niners. Now, when it comes to passing defense, uh, the the Texans are also 17th there. So remember, they're, they're, they're 17th in rushing yards, 17th in passing yards, and 16th overall in yards. Then the points drops down. But it's 223.3 passing yards a game. And the Steelers, they are 22nd in pass defense with with 235.3 passing yards per game. Now, let's look at these other categories because this is where it comes in a little bit. When it comes to sacking the quarterback, the Texans only have four sacks this year. That's right. T.J. Watt himself has more sacks than the whole Texans defense. That's tied for 28th, and they have four takeaways, which is tied for 13th. When it comes to the Steelers, they have 13 sacks on the season. That's first all by themselves in the NFL. And when it comes to takeaways, they have eight, which is tied for second. So the Steelers, even when you look at it defense, what advantages do they have over the Texans? They give up less points than what the Texans do, but they get after the quarterback and have takeaways better. So that's going to be real interesting. You know, Texas have given up 13 sacks – or sorry, 11 sacks. The Steelers have 13 sacks. Well, let's see if that kind of coincides together. That would be nice, especially with their tackles. Looks like their two tackles aren't going to be playing. They've had a lot of problems with the offensive line in Houston. Uh, the other thing is is something's got to give in the other direction. Houston's only turned it over twice, while the Steelers have forced eight takeaways. Wonder which one's going to give there. So with the sacks, they line up. That, that could be a really good thing for the Steelers. But with the takeaways, Houston's protected the ball pretty good. Um, and when you look at it the other the other way around, uh, the Steelers middle of the road with with the with the turnovers. Same with the Texans with the takeaways. They both have four. And when it comes to the sacks, the Steelers are given eight, uh, given up eight, but the Texans have only had four. So that's a, a, an advantage there, hopefully for the Steelers that they can improve that. So those are the numbers to break down that matchup. I did a little bit extra by breaking down the punting stuff this week because I knew these numbers weren't weren't going to be as much to dive into. I really like it week. After week four is when I really start to put a little bit more in these. But I went ahead and did it for week three because now we can see if the Steelers have improved with their numbers from one week to the next. So there they are. Make sure you check it out. All our podcasts. Tonight you'll be able to check out myself, Jeff Hartman. Not sure about Brian Anthony Davis, if he's got the right setup because he's still on location. He has not made it back from Vegas yet. He's out there for a conference. We'll see if he's able to join us or not. Uh, I probably won't know that until closer to showtime tonight. Uh, and if you, if you didn't check it, there was uh, the Pump Your Breaks last night was on YouTube. Um, uh, our normal lineup, there's really not anything changed. The, the Q&A is back to being on Saturday. Um, 
with the Steelers playing at one o'clock on Sunday, you know, when God intended NFL football to be played, that means we can really get down to our regular normal schedule. Um, and I, I look forward Look forward to that. So we've got all the content you want that you could be looking for. Also, make sure you're checking out SteelCurdNetwork.com. Some interesting stuff there. I, I'm changing up how I'm doing uh, the, the pro football focus grades rather than – or scores rather than just report the scores. I give my opinion on them and actually grade their grades. Um, really enjoying that my brother, Big Brosco, has picked up another article that he does. Now after he does his knee-jerk reaction to the game, he then turns around – and does his worthless two cents article that comes out on Wednesday that says, hey, this is what I feel the same about after more consideration. This is what I feel different about in, in, in the, that it's better, and this is that it's worse. It, it, it's really good stuff. Make sure you check that out. Whew. We'll be back next Thursday, back-to-back 1 o'clock games for the Steelers. That's going to be nice. Um, that will be interesting about that, uh, the following one. But I don't want to look too far ahead. Got to take care of business in Houston. Houston showed last week. Man, that's why their ranks are up, because of their game last week. They really came out and and made a statement against the Jaguars. So um, that they're just not some pushover team. So Pittsburgh's got to go down there. The, the After what Houston did last week, I don't even think you can call this a, a potential trap game. They, they kind of put – their opponents will notice that no, if you think you're going to take us lightly, we're going to come out and we're going to we're going to beat you down pretty good. So hopefully the Steelers can can uh, continue to stack some more wins, get a little bit of the streak here before they hit their bye week in a couple weeks. We'll see how it all goes. And as I always say, to close these out, other than go Steelers, that is thanks for geeking out. With me.